0: a new comment by the way just before we started who from well the account was pd or p daniel 91 so oh who's that i don't know if you're being sarcastic
1: (laughs) i haven't forgotten your boyfriend's name (laughs) (laughs) what did he have to say was it a question
0: it was just a really nice review. I won't read it out, though.
1: Aww. I really want listeners to send in their questions.
0: Yeah, same. I really want to have
1: listeners. I know, well, that's the dream, isn't it? (laughs) I feel like I've been cramming for an exam. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I finished reading it, like, just before we called for the second time. But, yeah, I was trying to read it really fast.
1: I was, um... Yeah, I felt like I was doing a kind of last minute GCSE revision, trying to remind myself of the basic plot. (laughs) Yeah, and it's
0: actually really simple, but I'd remembered it wrong in my head, so I'm glad that we, um, that we, that I read it again.
1: Yeah. So we haven't spoken about how either of us got on with it, or what we thought. Mm. Um, Shall I quickly say what it's about? Oh wait, we always forget to do this. Hi, welcome to Find The Lit.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, hi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jess. I'm Emily. And now we're going to begin. I chose the (laughs) book for this episode and it's called Ethan Frome. It's by Edith Wharton. It was published in 1911 uh, and it is set in the fictitious town called starkfield yeah and it's in massachusetts how do you say that massachusetts massachusetts Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah there and edith wharton wrote it as a kind of response to what she considered more superficial romanticized depictions of new england so i think she was pretty rich she was part of the new york aristocracy and she owned some manor or, I don't know, some grounds, some grand estate in New England. So she was familiar with the setting, although she wasn't familiar necessarily with the class that she's depicting in the book, which is something we can discuss. But the um, the structure of the book is, is quite strange, although it's kind of classic um, In a way, it's narrated by a visitor, an engineer who has been sent to Starkfield to work. But the actual story so it's kind of written in first person at the beginning, then it goes into third person, and it's sent to surround a guy called Ethan Frome, who is this kind of enigmatic resident of the town who we know has endured a lot of misfortune from the beginning, from what the narrator learns from other characters and the narrator's really interested in what's happened to Ethan and he starts getting a lift to the station with him and then on one particularly snowy day he ends up back at his house and then he kind of this is it's kind of strange because he he kind of invents the story or i don't know we can talk about how much of it is his creative license later but he doesn't really get told it by anyone he sort of infers it and fills in the gaps and the story very briefly is Ethan Frome. when he was young fell in love with his wife's cousin Matty who had come to live with them and work for them and obviously because it's a book that we chose and read it ends incredibly <laughs> tragically <laughs> um, his wife Zena is very sickly and she ends up sending Matty away and yeah I don't know how much, how much of the plot do we normally give at this point should I ruin the ending depends or...
0: <laughs> yeah ruin it
1: just ruin it all So Matty and Ethan are really distraught because Matty's going to be sent away and there's no way out of it. They can't run away together because the economic situation is just too bad. Ethan has no money and they just can't do it. So basically they end up riding a sled towards a tree um, as a kind of way out. But it doesn't doesn't really work. Um, And they both, well, the kind of twist of it is we obviously know Ethan is, ethan survived the accident we don't know what happened to matty but right at the end the narrator it goes back to the narrator's first person perspective and he's gone into ethan's house and he sees these two women sitting there and one of them is ethan's wife cena and one of them turns out to be matty so she survived the accident but well we can talk about how she Mm. is different at the end um feel like that was a really really long summary (laughs) the end of the podcast (laughs) basically said all there is to say and then what did you think (laughs) of it
0: (laughs) I really enjoyed reading it I am the first time I read it I did it all in one day on the weekend and I do there's like obviously having a really long book to read there's amazing Things about that, but I do like having a short book where you can just sit there all in one go and read it. Um, it was just it really drew me in. I thought it was going to be a bit fusty and like old-fashioned, you know, when it's a bit of a slog. Um, mm. But it, the I found it really easy to read and really engaging. And actually, I I had sort of guessed what would happen, but I got it wrong. Like I thought a couple of different things would happen, and so I thought the twist was quite good. Um, Oh, the laptops screen's just gone black. Uh oh. Oh no, it's fine, it's fine. It was just like sleeping. Is Ooh, it still sorry. recording you? Eh? Yeah, it's still recording me. Okay. I just I think it might go black after a while. Um so yeah, generally I thought it was a really good read. Um obviously yeah, not the not many laughs, um in this book. Uh, as usual with us. Um but still, really engaging, and it's it's weird, like how there are so m- there aren't that many characters, and not that much happens, but it still feels like a really rich, full world that you're sort of drawn into. Um, Definitely,
1: it's
0: like a simple plot.
1: It has the skill of a really amazing short story. I think where not actually that many events happen, but you. I was almost surprised when I was rereading it because it felt like after I'd read it the first time obviously the text was so rich and dense and just I don't know created this whole world that actually what's said on the page isn't that isn't that much you know what I mean there's not actually that many words or events or like yeah. you said characters but it's a just so it evocative in, but...
0: in his head yeah 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 it is evocative of the Starkfield town a good name for it <laughs> um okay. yeah so, so did you enjoy the experience of reading it
1: yeah i did i liked it when i first started reading it and it was that narrator guy i was a bit i guess similar to you i kind of didn't expect that much from it but once it got into the juicy stuff and the whole illicit love not really a fair but his yeah. feelings are obviously illicit and yeah i thought this is this is good this is exciting um, i uh, i
0: like kind of forgot that there was that narrator really you kind of just you kind of just get drawn into the story in the present moment of the when ethan's younger and you sort of forget about the whole little
1: bit at <laughs> the beginning
0: until it comes back
1: at the end until he crops up again you're like oh yeah i remember you yeah. Um, do you know why she did that? Because it's kind of an interesting decision.
0: Um, yeah, because why didn't she just start the
1: story straight away? Um, I think it's...
0: I think there's probably a few reasons. I think one is so that... Because at the beginning he, he kind of goes into to Ethan's house and sees these two women and describes them and you don't really know who they are. So I think it it almost then hints at what's gonna happen right at the beginning, but then you kind of forget that or you're not really sure who those women are. So I think it it kind of gives a sense of foreboding to the whole story. Whereas if if it had just started with him meeting Matty and then falling in love, you could just think, oh yeah, this is going to end well. Because I think because of that bit at the beginning and the narrator seeing what Ethan's like, you know, 20 years later you know something terrible is going to happen right from the beginning. So yeah. it kind of, it just, yeah, it makes it more like just this dread, underlying dread throughout the whole thing. And in terms of like the actual narrator and who he is, he's obviously an outsider and he's more like middle class and, and kind of has this more um, like what was What's the word I'm thinking? Like his eye for what's going on is different if he'd have been someone who'd lived there his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says so she pro- that's probably more like how she feels writing about the characters. She's writing about them from the outside.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't know if your version has an introduction, but I think she wrote an introduction to it, which is kind of interesting. And yeah, then mine mine has another introduction before that so this hasn't i kind of got this from there but yeah it's exactly what you said there's like two reasons and one is the struct um the um the structure is used because she needed a way of of doing the kind of dramatic climax at the end or she says it's an anti-climax actually she says the problem before me was this i had to deal with the subject of which the dramatic climax or rather the anti-climax occurs a generation later the first acts of the tragedy so she needed a way of stitching those two things together because obviously it's we go from him being young and the accident to then fast fast forward to i don't know how many years it is 15 20 years in the future Mm. to get that kind of contrast with the two yeah yeah exactly and then the other thing is yeah like you said she she seemed to be very concerned with like person narrating the story being believable or the way it, it was narrated and articulated being kind of realistic because I think she she said that she couldn't let Ethan Frome or any of the people in the town actually tell the story because they wouldn't be sophisticated or articulate articulate enough to actually tell it Yeah, she does that. So she almost needed that middleman. Yeah, she'll say stuff
0: like he thought this but he had no way of actually saying it. And like it's Mm. like they she describes like how they think and feel
1: in really quite beautiful language, but then they never actually speak like that. Exactly. So she needed someone to come in and almost tell the story on their behalf kind of like she Mm -hmm. was doing so she needed a midway between her obviously as an aristocrat basically and then these Mm. poor people um, or working class people who might not have had the language or or that kind of thing Um, so that's quite interesting and there's been, I think there's been some critics who have read it as They've put more emphasis on the fact that there's not that narrator interpreting it than others. So they've kind of read it as the story of Ethan Frome isn't actually a story about Ethan Frome. It's more, re- um, it's more a reflection of the narrator and his kind of psych- psych- uh, psychology and his fears and opinions and stuff like that.
0: Oh. I never really thought about it that <laughs>
1: I never really thought about it. I just read the book. Um yeah I honestly well, not if you forgot the in the rear existed. I no.
0: I mean he obviously no know- he does find out what happened, like the bare fact of it, like that they had this the sled accident and stuff, and then obviously he must have filled in the rest because mm-hmm because they never told anyone about how they felt about each other. Maybe when Matty is, like, waking up and she's all delirious from the accident, she does say something to her friend, who he then talks to at the end about what happened, but Mrs Hale, but she never reveals what Matty told her. So I did wonder, did Matty tell her, like, we were in love, we were going to die together or something? Mm -hmm. But she never tells the narrator that so he does make the whole thing up basically but also but that's not really how fiction works is it though because you just read it and you believe that's what's happening because that's what the the story is I don't know I wouldn't read it and think oh it's all in the narrator's head that just seems a bit silly
1: yeah it is weird isn't it because I do kind of get annoyed when authors don't When when an author will write something from someone's perspective and it's obvious that that's not their voice, do you know what I mean? When there's a mismatch between the voice of the narration and the person that they're kind of attributing the story to, that does annoy me. And it seems like Edith Wharton has really tried to account for why the story would be so articulate and emotionally and whatever, sophisticated, by having this narrator person. But... At the same time, there's these big holes in, like, well, how, how would he know that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? How would he know yeah. all of these details?
0: But I, I like it when... I like it when a story will... I guess... Like, what am I trying to say? Not necessarily using, like, a secondhand narrator, but when a story is told from the perspective of a character who, on the surface, on the outside... You wouldn't necessarily expect to be thinking or feeling these things because maybe they're like someone who barely speaks or you know answers in like one syllable words and things like that but inside Mm -hmm. you know they've got all these complex thoughts and emotions like everyone else Mm. I like that and that's kind of what is so amazing about literature and I guess she she could have done it like that and she still could have given us the hints at the beginning and to To make us know what happened, but she didn't necessarily have to have like an actual other character come in. To yeah,
1: share. yeah. What did you think about her depiction of this community, which she, as an individual, wouldn't have had any part in, or you know, maybe she would have have observed it as an outsider, but she wasn't. She definitely wasn't an mm-hmm. insider. I
0: thought, to be honest, that despite, like, for the fact that there were barely any main characters and a lot of them just show up, like, once or twice, I felt they were quite well done in that I did read them and feel like they were people rather than stereotypes. Mm -hmm. But I guess where I sort of thought it was quite an outsider's look at it was how she kind of describes the overall, like, atmosphere and life there over years and and the sort of big sweeping statement she makes about how essentially this town um, like drains the life out of people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily know that's the case because there are people living there and being happy and having families and having their picnics and their dances and stuff. And those things seem like, you know, enjoyable and, and stuff. But I think she gives the impression overall that it's just like, you know, you stay there long enough and you basically give up <laughs> on life. Yeah. But then, but then, like, and she put... And one of the characters says, like, oh, all the, all the clever ones leave or something. So maybe it was the kind of place where if you had aspirations or you wanted to, like, experience more of the world, then you would leave there and not come back because it's a tiny little village, basically, in the middle of
1: nowhere. Yeah. I'm kind of torn on it because one part of me thinks it's a kind of typical way for a really rich person to see that kind of town as just relentlessly dreary and grey and, you know, oppressive and stuff. And actually, it's like, it's not very nuanced in the sense she's not capturing any kind of... I guess they have that fun party or whatever that Ethan comes to pick Matty up from. They're all having a good time there. But, you know, in the main main characters, there's not a lot of joy there, is there? And any joy quickly becomes yeah just obliterated but then at the same time i'm like maybe the criticism's more towards the economic situation of those people do you know what i mean so they they're very yeah. trapped by their by their economic situation it's obviously this town that is becoming left behind in terms of technologies and the outside world and it's very old school and in that way it's being left behind economically and it's it's quite stagnant
0: i think that's i think that's it because she actually describes like the natural landscape as being very beautiful and although there are really harsh winters which she says you know um like make the community like dead I guess in a way they're hibernating through the winters she does describe it with a lot of beauty and like the life that life there could be nice you know like a country life where you're like in nature all the time um but then what she describes as being kind of depressing is the, is the poverty and like you said it's being left behind and she describes how Ethan's mother became a lot more ill when they rebuilt the railway and it basically didn't need to go past their house because it kind of was better and quicker going another way so she never got that like connection with other people she never got to see anything happen and that's when her health deteriorated and so they literally were left behind
1: yeah
0: yeah but um yeah I mean I also thought in terms of like the way she described Starkfield the town and the setting it sort of mirrored the she uses it to mirror like the fate of Ethan and his character, and sort of his like inner turmoil and his mental state kind of is directly connected to the environment around him. Because um, she says, he, he she says like when sh- when the narrator is describing him much later on, so like decades after everything's happened. Um, she wrote that he seemed a part of the mute, melancholy landscape, an incarnation of its frozen woe, with all that was warm and sentient in him fast bound below the surface. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it's yeah, it's a way to it's a way to get across his like depression and the fact he's kind of turned in on himself.
1: Yeah, it's so so bleak, and the way. Um, obviously like him and matty what they decide to do is on a sled as well so they're using the snow so the and yeah there are a lot of references to the landscape and and at the beginning as well um the narrator talks to that guy who says he's been here too many winters yeah he's got too many winters in him yeah exactly it's almost like it's inevitable the weather sets in and so i think the weather Mm. is definitely symbolic or the the climate is definitely
0: symbolic but also like when he describes his joy at you know being in Mattie's presence and spending time with her even though it is cold and it's the same environment it's always described in a much more like positive joyful way so like her cheeks will be flushed with the cold or they'll look at a little flower in the snow together and or they'll look at the icicles and they'll both admire them so I haven't got any direct quotes, but it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It sort of. She's always his feelings.
1: she's always described with warm colours. She's always associated yeah. with warm colours, and like she wears she wears red a lot, doesn't she? She wears a red ribbon. Yeah. or... Um. I can't yeah, remember the other
0: thing. She wears a red ribbon round her neck at one point, and then another one like in her hair. Yeah. Yeah. I I notice like. She's described like she's literally like this sort of like rosy cheeked full-lipped full of life like mm-hmm. fairy almost like he's always describing her lips and her
1: eyes and things like that she's in- an incredibly she's described in incredibly sexual terms yeah. and i just the contrast between her and his wife Zena is, oh, is yeah. it's so it's it's almost comical the contrast yeah. because Zena is just she la- She completely lacks any sex appeal. She's, like, the opposite of Matty.
0: No, no. She's, like, a... She is described, basically, like, a, a walking skeleton.
1: Yeah, so she's... Yeah, she's really skinny, angular, grey. She has false teeth. She's really yeah. sickly. And then you find out she's only 35. <laughs> oh, my God. Right, but this is something we can talk about, because how... <laughs> there's obviously so the way zine is described and the way that his mother's described. There's and at and at the end the way her and Mattia described. It's very kind of witch-like, mm. and it almost could be read. If this was by a man, I would be reading it as quite misogynistic. And the fact that the narrator's a man and Ethan's a man, and it's almost written from their perspective. I don't know whether Edith Wharton was trying to comment on that or whether she was she had internalized some kind of misogyny but it's quite um it just feels very harsh because Zina, definitely against his wife yeah yeah Zina. but but also but also all women kind of because it's 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 kind of an inevitability. I don't know, we can discuss this because how much of obviously he's really attracted to Matty, Ethan is. Yeah. And she represents everything Zena doesn't and Xena's his wife and she's sexless and she just mm. whines all the time and wears brown clothes and stuff and Matty is this kind of sexy colourful glowy person mm. <laughs> Glow. <laughs> how much of that is the grass is greener and he just how much of it comes out of a kind of I don't like the fact that I'm tied down to this woman and this, this other girl represents everything I don't have and it's this freedom and stuff like that. But if he had Matty, how quickly would she become that woman who he despises yeah. and just moans at him and stuff like that?
0: I don't think that is how... I don't read it like that at all because you get a bit of a backstory with how why he marries Xena and it's not out of any love or attraction. He literally marries her because... She, his mum gets ill, and he has to look after her. And then Zena comes along, and be, by the way, Zena is his cousin. Did you catch that? Oh. They're cousins. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So Zena's his cousin. So she, so she comes along and basically takes over the carer's role. Is a really good nurse. Gets everything into shape, and basically helps him throughout his mother's illness until his mother dies. And then he's basically suddenly like scared of being alone without this person who's basically looked after him and his mum and made things you know a bit more orderly in the house and things like that and so that's when he asks her to marry him he, or he basically just says don't go so it's not out of any kind of affection or love and he even at one point says like if if my mother had died in the summer I don't think I would have minded her going so he, yeah. again it's like the startfield winter is to blame whereas obviously with Matty he has fallen for her and and maybe you know maybe it is all just because it's new and they can't have each other and it's unattainable but I, I do think he he basically is a good person because he could leave his wife and like he I mean he can't in the end cuz he can't afford it but before he realizes that he does think I don't know if I could just leave her here like she would be destitute without
1: me and he does feel bad about it I don't know I think it's more ambiguous than that because when he first meets Zina yeah he says that he only marries her because he doesn't he's scared of being alone essentially but it describes her laughing it describes him being dazzled by her not like her beauty or anything Mm -hmm. but the way that she is is upkeeping the house and the language is just totally different and it kind of feels you kind of Think was Zena a different person when she met him, and then it says that they're married, and within a year she's become this sickly person, and then she becomes really quiet. And it even says maybe that was his fault, and maybe it's because he yeah. didn't, he never listened. And you just, I feel like as a woman reading it, it's kind of you can kind of see maybe how he wouldn't necessarily be that great a husband, and maybe Zena no, was actually. Quite a nice girl when she married him, and he's just ground her down. (laughs)
0: I I think so. I think that I think he basically says, I stopped listening to her anyway. Mm. So I think it is weird how he he doesn't really question like why she's become that way. It's almost like inevitable, like, oh yeah, she just became silent and moody. He never really asks why. And that's it's Um, kind
1: of, I feel like it's kind of hinted at that it is inevitable because not only does he sometimes just say that but when he has that night alone with Mattie he looks at her in Zena's chair and sees Zena.
0: yeah like an aber- aberration that
1: she would yeah. become like her I and think then and at it's the it's end because, Mattie has basically become Zena, hasn't she
0: yeah that's what's so creepy is that she's they like bicker with each other like they're exactly the same and that's what that's what makes him hate his life because his the woman he loved has kind of turned into the one he despised,
1: and that's but, kind of what I mean. Uh, yeah. Is the whole like thing of the story? It's almost a parable of, I don't know. You get married to a woman, and she might seem all of this at first, but it's death. It's almost mm. a kind of anti. You can imagine a man writing it as an anti-marriage kind of book. <laughs> I don't
0: know. <laughs> Yeah, this is so weird because I never really thought about it that way until we started talking about it. <laughs> I I guess like I thought of the Xena thing as it was just as much her fault as his because she stayed and married him and actually kind of knew that she, it wouldn't be that like she wouldn't be happy there maybe. Yeah. Um, and then because he says that originally they're gonna move to like a bigger town, which is what he really wants, but then she gets all ill and they can't go and actually and he says that Zena doesn't want to be anywhere that would look down on her like she wants to live somewhere rubbish that she can look down on mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of bitterness in her character and selfishness but how much of it was drawn out because of this the where they live which is just a meager existence like in the middle of nowhere and with your silent husband i don't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. yeah it is it is hard to tell like I guess, like, maybe I'm just a bit romantic, but I I always just was reading it thinking, oh, like, Ethan and Matty, they're just so in love. Like, they obviously love each other so much, but if you look at it, like, they, yeah, they've never really spent any time together. (laughs) So it's whether you can really believe that or not,
1: I guess. And also, if they're so in love, why, at the end, does he hate them both? You know, just the fact that they both are injured in that accident and then they're both kind of nursed by xena if it was true love why would it matter
0: because it's been like 20 years or something and i think he hates like matty because what she's become is so far from what she was and he it's like he hates himself because he feels like it's his fault so when he looks at her it's just kind of like self-hatred i think maybe
1: yeah i don't know it's i don't know real, what to make of it really because i don't it's i don't know if there if there's really a moral i was reading it um just some criticism on it and stuff and some people call it kind of a, or describe it as a fairy tale or a parable mm-hmm. but then others were having a go at it and saying it lacked any moral significance And one guy said that the end is so depressing that you can't do anything with it except endure it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty much how I feel about it.
1: Yeah, I kind of agreed with that. But I don't think it's necessarily a negative way. I don't know, because it's horrifically depressing. But I think for there to be a moral, there needs to almost be the potential for people to have acted differently. But it's like there's kind of no scope for that in in this book but that's why
0: it's probably that's probably why it stood the test of time and is and seems so brilliant I I think and it is is one of like the most read like American literature things isn't it in schools and stuff I think because there isn't like an obvious moral like you know no one really did anything wrong there wasn't one big act like oh if you hadn't have done that it wouldn't have happened I think it's why it kind of gets under your skin even though it's so short is because you you're like constantly trying to pinpoint a moment where you could make things different or things could be better or you changed change one little action it would be you know it wouldn't have happened that way and you can't really find one you can't really grasp it and that's kind of life which yeah is really horrible
1: yeah and, and that's why it's it's so haunting you're right because there's you, you feel like there must be a way out but there isn't yeah and, the, yeah
0: and when I was reading it the first time I was like really incredulous I was like god just like there must be something they can do like when he basically gives up on them running away together I was really annoyed I was thinking no you must I was thinking like just leave like just go with no money just like <laughs> you know just keep walking and eventually you can just beg and get money from somewhere and get out to the west and everything but even if they did that like he says he would leave his wife with nothing she wouldn't be able to sell the property um and then i thought yeah he's like her relatives could take her in and stuff like there was part of me that was thinking like just go just go but maybe i'm selfish
1: and but he then basically he decides that he can't do that he and he literally would have wouldn't have the money for him and matty to do it as well
0: well they yeah they'd basically become yeah, but then, like, if they love each other, then they can just literally have nothing and just walk. Eventually, <laughs> they'll find somewhere. Just But they'll probably just, just die of cold.
1: Yeah, yeah, but in a way, it's kind of at least chance it and do that rather than just get on the sled and die. aim it at a tree. Oh, God.
0: Morons. <laughs> and actually, it's quite funny because... Oh, no, it's not funny at all. But when they're, when they're on the sled and he's aiming it at the tree doesn't he like he thinks of Zena, his wife like a split second or something and then like and then t- starts to steer it away from the tree or something and then he's like no no and then he steers it back to the tree but almost so it almost feels like his wife was behind them both surviving because I kind of got this creepy impression that like Zena was almost happy at what, about what happened because yeah. she kind of, she won then. Like, she, I, like, this is what I was going to ask you. Do, did you think that his wife, Zena like, knew basically the whole time, like, how they felt towards each other and knew what she was doing? Because I felt like she did.
1: Yeah, I think she did. I think she did because of the creepy stuff she does all throughout, but also mm. because obviously she's intent on sending Matty away before the whole aiming the sled at the tree thing. And then after that, when they're both injured, they she takes them both in, and then it's said at the end that she cared for them. And she, even though she was sickly herself, she found the strength to become yeah. their carer. She
0: obviously wasn't really ill most of the time. And I think, like, she... Um, I think it's, it's like Ethan's a bit of a, a sort of idiot really like I guess in a way like a stereotypical man where he can't really see what's in front <laughs> can't really see what's obvious whereas I think Matty can so obviously see that Zena knows how they feel and is really I think it's really obvious to the reader that Zena knows as soon as you as soon as she says to him that like sort of sarky comment like oh yes because you you shave every morning now like, he never used to bother shaving, and then as soon as Matty lives with them, he shaves every morning. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, I didn't realize she noticed. And obviously, so obviously she knows that he's doing that for Matty. And like, there's all these little hints. And I, so I think when, I think when, when Zina goes to that other town to have that appointment with the doctor and leaves them to have that evening together, yeah. and they're both really happy, I think she does that on purpose because I think she wants to give them that chance to like, spend time together so that so that something can go wrong and she can kind of pull the rug from under them or use it as yeah, evidence or which it
1: does when they break that pickle dish which yeah. they don't even do, the cat does and the cat is like this yeah. creepy kind of witch symbol which is <laughs> yeah. almost like, was that Xena? because she's kind of <laughs> witchy yeah. and weird yeah, there's that bit where um when you talked about Xena knowing everything and, and stuff with like noticing that he was shaving when ethan gets up really early or stays up really late i can't remember which to scrub the floors because matty's a bit useless around the house but oh, she yeah. doesn't want him, her to get sent away so she he stays up and scrubs the floor and Zena catches him doing it yeah it's like mate so obvious so obvious <laughs>
0: and like and that's for someone like Zena who's probably really prideful and bitter and everything. She's going to do what she can to like send her away. But it's just done in such a creepy way, like in such a realistic way because they don't have some big altercation or fight. It's like their whole marriage has just been silent Ugh. and it just and she just and she she basically destroys their lives just by sort of acting really normally and being really quite like silent about the whole thing she's just like oh she's got to go you know yeah
1: oh, yeah I just I just feel I just feel sorry for Xena I don't do you know I just I think if I was reading this book and I knew it was written by a man I would I would have actually been quite offended by it
0: <laughs> yeah but some people are like that she didn't have like I think that she had a horrible lot in life and everything, and she was going to be unhappy, but. But why do all is, the. Literally all of the women. It.
1: All of the women end up as witches. <laughs> that is so embra- sexist!
0: Em- she, she, Zena embraced being a bitter, horrible, cold hearted person. She loved it because she liked to have the control.
1: Yeah, but she has Ethan as a husband and he's just so, like, oh, silent and boring and, like, not listening to her.
0: But why does Matty fall in love with him then? Does
1: she, though?
0: Well, she could have any of the blokes in the town. She could have that Dennis Edie, who's, like, the rich kid. Yeah, I think she, she doesn't.
1: Well, maybe she does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, Yeah. I mean i didn't know matty was actually in love with him until literally they kissed do you know what i mean i thought that i was kind of i was unsure as to whether she even liked him that much because we're seeing it all from his perspective sort of Mm. i was like is he just imagining all of this like is she actually not that interested in him
0: yeah it's not as obvious because they they basically never speak about how they feel do they it's all without physical touch and it's all with them just saying like dinner's ready good night exactly that's it yeah but I think she does um there was one bit that like just about the tension and everything and the way that nothing really happens but it's so tense like we talked about like the, the his wife and like the descriptions of the um nature and the cold and everything but there was one bit that I read today that I thought was really good because when, when they're when they've got that evening together, him and Matty, and it's supposedly like you know amazing because they've never got to be alone together before. Um, she he like describes her as seeming um, taller and fuller and more womanly in shape and motion, which does fit with your sort of idea of the other one being really sexless and everything and then he and then and then it's described like this nice kind of domestic scene where there's the cat and the food and the fire and you sort of get lulled into this sense of security like oh they could have this happy life together but then it says ethan was suffocated with the sense of well-being and i just thought that line really stood out to me because like suffocated it's such a violent description mm-hmm. and it's not it's not ethan was Ethan felt like he was suffocating with the sense of well-being. It's literally, Ethan was suffocated with the sense of well-being. And that's just like this horrible, like, I don't know, like, disconcerting image. And you just, again, you're like, oh, something's going to go wrong.
1: And he's never bloody happy, is he? The (laughs) more I think about it, the more I actually am leaning towards a reading (gasps) of this. is just basically a man being terrified of commitment and it all just being a big kind of thing like that because he um, he says at one point as well, like, Matty is obviously terrible around the house and stuff. And... Mm it says ethan had an idea that if she were to marry a man she was fond of the dormant instinct would wake and her pies and biscuits become the pride of the county but domesticity in the abstract did not interest her so it's almost she represents everything that's the opposite of a wife because she's yeah. this sexy young girl who's terrible at housework and then as soon as she would become his wife it'd be like oh you're no longer attractive to uh, me <laughs> but then
0: but then he but then all his like imaginings and daydreams are of them being husband and wife and just sitting there in the kitchen by the fire together it's not like he just Mm. wants to have sex with her and if and if it was that he would have just tried it on like a million times and he doesn't
1: i just yeah um, i don't know i just think he describes her like
0: when he describes her doing like the washing up and stuff or or like putting the food out on the table like that's him just liking to watch her do things around the house which yeah obviously you could say is sexist but it's him wanting commitment in the
1: sense that he wants that to be his daily life i don't know i don't know i know i'm being way more cynical than you you're you've got a really romantic (laughs) reading of it and i just think Uh, i do
0: like the the way like (laughs) that he kind of wants xena to kind of accidentally die or something and that would solve all his problems but you never he never actually explicitly says that but when they're coming back from that walk he's like picking her up from the walk and they can't find the key and he's like oh maybe maybe trump's got in and oh god and you're just like he's like kind of hoping that they did and his wife's been
1: murdered yeah i mean part of me did as sympathetic as i was to Zena, i was a bit kind of thinking just just kill her
0: yeah so you want him to commit murder (laughs) I thought that might happen at one point
1: so maybe that's what he does um oh I was gonna say something else about oh yeah that's it because also the other thing that makes me think of it being a kind of it being quite loaded in terms of marriage and the way it might change how people see each other is the fact that i think edith walton was actually married when she wrote this but i think she broke up with her husband quite shortly afterwards so i'm thinking maybe if she was having a really unhappy marriage then that would have also
0: yeah she would understand that kind of bitterness that can only grow over (laughs) many many years
1: yeah exactly um
0: I mean, he, yeah, like going back to like what he wants It's I wrote quite a few little notes about how he really it seems like he really likes the idea of and being able to influence Matty and and be the one in control. And he talks about stuff like his sense of mastery and his tone subdued her and and like he can kind of like control the situation a bit um, in terms of her emotions or her actions But then I thought it was quite a weird twist because he does that all the way through. But then it's actually completely Matty's idea for them to crash into the tree on purpose. And she basically completely controls it and convinces him that it's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And also, it's weird the kind of the way it... Turns around in terms of the power dynamic because obviously at the end he's stuck there with these two women who are really vocal. And mm. the woman, Mrs. H- Hales, is it?
0: Mrs. Hales. Mrs. Yeah. Mrs. Hales.
1: When yeah. she's talking to the narrator, she says that when she sees Ethan with the two women, she feels the most sorry for him, and he's the one who suffers the most. And the yeah. really weird bit is the way it ends.
0: Oh, I loved the ending.
1: She's talking. She's talking about Mrs. Mrs. Hale. She's talking about the Fromes, as in Ethan's relatives who are buried yeah, in the graveyard. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of references to them, which is obviously quite um, symbolic as well, compared to the Fromes up at the farm. And she says. Um, the way they are now, I don't see there's much difference between the thrones up at the farm and the thrones down in the graveyard, except that down there they're all quiet and the women have got to hold their tongues. <laughs> that's the
0: ending. I loved that ending. In, in my book, in the introduction that's written by someone with a really funny name called Doris, is, is that your one? my introduction doris grumbach but she but she says something like the ending that that like last bit is like really weak and rubbish but i think it's so good and i I i feel like it's really it's like a really modern ending it feel it feels like a really unusual way for a book from that period to end like kind of almost like on that sort of just almost like a throwaway line but it i think it's really good
1: I, know, I, I do know what you mean, yeah. What do you think it means, though?
0: So it, So I read it, like...
1: Hang on. That, um,
0: that basically, like... That it's... they're Even though they're alive, you know, they're not really because they don't really have a life. Like, they're, what are they doing up there? Like, what kind of a life is that? They are essentially, you know, they're basically dead in the sense that they haven't got anything to live for. But mm-hmm. in a way, like, the cruelness of it is that they talk more than ever. Which is, like, the hold their tongues. If you're dead, you can't talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it's, like the, it's like the words they're speaking aren't communication. They're not really communicating, are they? It's just it's the only thing they have that they can actually do is just complain and moan about each other um because they're crippled and they're stuck there in that prison of a house up on the hill and they're and they're stuck there in that horrible love triangle like that's what's so fucked up about it like with all three of them knowing exactly what happened probably and how everyone felt they probably never mentioned it ever it's just so it is so suffocating and horrible
1: and it will never be spoken about explicitly yeah. and they'll just be like that until the day they all die. Exactly. And
0: then they're the ones in the grave. And that and that all those like references to the grave, the gravestones it's like really gothic because he like when he looked at them when he was having to care for his sickly mother, he felt like they were mocking him, like, You're gonna be here one day, you're never getting away. And then mm-hmm. and then when he was feeling all happy about Matty, he looked he'd look at them and think oh, maybe one day we'll be buried there and we'll have had a lovely long life together, living happily in our little house. And so, like, his perception of them changes throughout.
1: Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Because he almost says that the people in the, in the grave are kind of saying to him when he's feeling hostile towards them, it's kind of a, oh, well, we couldn't get away, so why should you?
0: Yeah, and one of them's even, yeah, one of them's even got the same name as him, like a, an older relative
1: yeah which is totally symbolic of the way he's bound by what he's been born into like he's mm. been born into that farm and that mill and stuff which are totally unprofitable and not producing anything and just this barren land that he's inherited yeah. and he's just trapped it is quite i mean it can be read like definitely in a very sympathetic to to that kind of those people who were in that in that situation you know for her to be really rich and from this aristocratic background but to be writing this quite sympathetic thing about people just trapped by their economic circumstances
0: yeah you can definitely
1: read it like that
0: i think it does that really well because you you kind of forget that they are trapped in that way because you get so caught up in like the kind of emotional side of things and then when it all Mm. just kind of ends just purely because they're poor, on it ends the way it does, it's really annoying and frustrating. But I guess maybe she's trying to make a point, like, yeah, this, you know, this could be happening all over America. Um, and he...
1: Yeah. well, you just money buys you freedom, yeah. doesn't it? It's the it's the kind of ultimate. It's taking that to its logical extreme of just yeah,
0: exactly. yeah, definitely. And and the and she makes it. She kind of on purpose makes Ethan want more. So like you get, you know that he kind of. Before his parents got ill, he he did some. He went to kind of like an engineering school and thought he might be able to have a job lined up there and get away. And then when the narrator's getting to know him, you know, decades later, he like still shows a glimmer of that interest in in like the science and things. Um, so I guess she's saying like, yeah, you you know, if you if you just looked at these people from the outside, they have these miserly, dead, barren lives but actually like look at this story (laughs) look what happens
1: have you got anything else to say about it
0: i feel like actually like i could talk about this one a lot but i guess not really like anything else that's pressing but but, like it's that's why i think it's really good because it's such a basic story but i feel like you could just keep talking about it and talking about it because you kind of start seeing it from one of their perspectives, and then and then you kind of feel more sorry for the other one, and then it goes back and forth. Um,
1: Definitely, there are so many different readings of it. It's really, yeah. really ambiguous. I feel like I there's a that, lot of grey areas, in
0: it? Yeah, and I thought I thought like me and you would just like completely have the same perspective, but actually, we've kind of
1: taken it to be quite different in a way. <laughs> Definitely. I'm quite surprised. I don't normally have a feminist take on stuff.
0: Yeah, I know. No, nothing else really, because I think we've made all the points that I had written down. Um, okay. It's just very gothic, isn't it? I think. I'm not really sure if I know what gothic means, but there's gravestones in it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it did remind me, it was kind of like a really, really short American version of something like Wuthering Heights. Mm. It was definitely very drawn. Bron- bronte-esque i think it would be really good as like a film they made a film of
0: it oh did they That oh, was probably terrible. yeah in the 90s it's probably oh, shit God. yeah no i want to watch it but it'll be awful um <laughs> we should watch it i bet it's terrible see like i wrote another thing because you know you were kind of getting annoyed at ethan yeah. and stuff like this is like how much i felt sorry for him on because right at the beginning on page 14 the, the narrator is describing him driving the, driving the sledge, um, and he says that Ethan Frome drove in silence, the reins loosely held in his left hand, his brown seamed profile under the helmet like peak of the cap, relieved against the banks of snow like the bronze image of a hero. And I was like, ah, oh, a hero. And I just had this image of, yeah, like, you know, like somebody in like a proper sort of. Um, like army hat or something like a bronze statue and then I thought Mm. Ethan as a hero is he like is he like a doomed hero who's just constantly sacrificing himself for others and then in the end like he is like you know he has basically sacrificed his life
1: yeah yeah it's not I don't feel sorry for him I definitely definitely do I just think that how do I put it you could read it as so unsympathetic to women that Mm. I almost went too far the other way and was like what is she actually trying to say like I said if I read this and it was by a man I think I would be I would kind of close it and be quite pissed off
0: because you've got like the yeah like the sexless wife and the the voluptuous young woman yeah
1: and the women just seem quite conscious in it they're the ones manipulating they're the ones controlling the situation ethan is this kind of poor victim who just wants to you know just wants to ha- live this nice happy life with the woman he loves or whatever and it ends up with him just living with these bickering witches and he's still the victim and i just think i don't really know enough about edith wharton to know i don't know what her intentions would be with that but Mm. because she's a woman i give it a more sympathetic Mm. reading of maybe that that's it's making a point you know it's not sexist Mm. but i definitely feel really really sorry for ethan it's obviously horrible and tragic for everyone
0: like like mrs hale says at the
1: end it would have been better if they had both died that's what she says yeah well it would it's that is that is what is quite weird about it is that you're not happy that Matt' lived at the end no. it's kind of it makes it way more creepy and way more depressing, yeah, and way more sad actually it would almost be more romantic if she had died like that because then even though we know Ethan isn't with her at the end, at least he can remember her fondly and
0: well, that's why I think it's a really good book because I thought that yeah, I thought that would be how it ended up, like Matty dies or something. But the fact that she she lives to become bloodless with a shriveled face and a querulous drone—that's how he's, mm-hmm. she's described. That's just so much more
1: horrifying. Is that so? Is that what you thought would happen? Did you think that she would die?
0: Yeah, I thought she would die. Well, we've been talking for an hour
1: now. Maybe this is a good place to stop. I don't have anything else, I don't think. No. So, yeah, let's leave it there for this one. We need to rate it. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it, mm, I'm going to give it eight. Okay. What are you giving it? It's really
0: hard, actually. This one, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. You basically haven't said nothing bad about. It. I no, When I when I read it the first time, I was like, "That's oh, amazing," and I did really enjoy reading it the second time. Although it felt like I was cramming for a GCSE, like we said before. Um, but yeah, I think I think I will give it a high rating because I think it is going to stay with me. Um, yeah, I might also give it an eight. I'm going to give it an eight out of 10 pickle dishes
1: <laughs> good one <laughs> um i think we should start having a feature on this podcast where we talk about the covers of our books <laughs> that's a good idea because with the giovanni's room one that was
0: just brilliant although it is a podcast and no one can see anything
1: it's true but it'll be an incentive for people to go to our instagram <laughs>
0: I do yeah, and I I do love that. Like I love that physical nature of books, like knowing there are all these different editions with like weird covers.
1: Yeah. And I think we can just talk about how well the book actually reflects the cover. Mm. Because obviously you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But with this one, I mean the content fully lives up to the bleakness of the cover. Mine's a painting called Snowbound. (laughs) Mine is a detail from snow scene in country and it is literally the color palette is brown and white (laughs) and that's it
0: i love that though because like i feel like these days like book covers always try and be really kind of really eye-catching or gripping or something so that you pick it out in a crowd sort of thing and mine is so Mm. not like that at all it's almost saying like i'm boring when it's not.
1: <laughs> mine is literally saying, if you want to be happy, don't open this book. Yeah. You know what we should also do
0: as a feature is we should look at the blurb. Yeah. That is such a good idea. Because I have i didn't even read mine. I'm going to read it now. Maybe we should read them but then like cut this bit out.
1: That is such a good idea because we could do it as an almost segue into the plot because then we wouldn't have to summarise the plot. We could read the blurb and then talk about how well it... Yeah,
0: talk about whether it like actually
1: makes sense. Yeah. I mean mine it my book is one of those cheap Wordsworth editions which costs about one pound ninety nine or something. Does it have a blurb? <laughs> yeah, it comes with a blurb. <laughs> I actually don't think it's too bad. What does it say? With this intensely moving short novel, Edith Wharton set out to draw life as it really was, in the lonely villages and desolate farms of the harsh New England mountains. Through the eyes of a visitor from the city, trapped for a winter in snowbound Starkfield, readers glimpse the hidden okay. histories of this austere and beautiful land. Piecing together the story of monosyllabic Ethan Frome, his grim <laughs> wife Zena, and Mattie Silver, her charming cousin, Wharton explores psychological deadlock, frustration, longing, resentment, passion. First published in 1911, the novella stunned its public with its consummate handling of the unfolding drama and has remained for many readers the most compelling and subtle of all Wharton's fiction.
0: Hmm, I think that's good. It's alright, isn't Monosyllabic, yeah. Shall I read mine? Yeah. It says, the classic novel of despair, forbidden emotion and sexual undercurrents set against the austere New England countryside... Ethan Throne works his unproductive farm and struggles to maintain a bearable existence with his difficult, suspicious and hypochondriac wife, Zeni. But when Zini's vivacious cousin enters their household as a hired girl, Ethan finds himself obsessed with her and with the possibilities for happiness she comes to represent. In one of American fiction's finest and most intense narratives, Edith Wharton moves this ill-starred trio toward their tragic destinies different in both tone and theme from her other works Ethan Frome has become perhaps her most enduring and most widely read book mm. that's pretty accurate as well isn't it yeah it is and also that that she represents happiness is kind of alluding to
1: what we were saying before like whether he actually does want to be with her whether she exactly something. that she wouldn't necessarily have been that in reality yeah yeah. Okay,
0: yeah, we can look at the blurbs at the beginning next
1: time. Yeah, because I feel like that's more succinctly described, <laughs> the the plot, than I did. I was going to say, like, why can,
0: why could I not think of any of those words? Do you ever get that? <laughs> like, why can't I think of that word hypochondriac? Or, yeah, all of them. That's basically
1: the book. Yeah. Although, I don't know, I think that's too dismissive of Zena. I think she actually just is ill. Poor Zena. <laughs>
0: zini my book um i i just had it on my bookshelf but it says s bloom inside which was my grandma's my grandma's name was sybil so i think it must have been my grandma's and i took it from their house that's cool
1: yeah that's nice i am um, i spilt water on mine like i do basically every do book do that with the every book <laughs> <laughs> it's really crinkled also it's been chewed by the dog oh it's looking pretty worse for wear right Okay, shall we end it there then? Yeah, thank you all okay. for listening and we'll see you yes. next time.
0: Bye.
1: I almost hung up on I you then to- rather oh, than I press can- stop
0: recording. I, exa- I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I nearly press hang up. Have I you stopped stop so recording different? now?
0: No, I need to press
1: stop. Oh, I okay. can always cut it off at the end. We stop at the
0: same time, do we? No, no, no. no. Okay, I'm stop.